Hi. Welcome in to the Lockdown Reds podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. I am a crazed super fan of the Cincinnati Reds and been covering sports for a long time, and I've turned my addiction into information for you. I uh, Today we are talking about some interesting thoughts because there's been rumors about the Reds being linked to trades. I want to talk about the dangers of trading right now. We're talking about now, between now and December 1st, the zero day for the CBA. I want to talk about the dangers of that. And I want to kind of shift focus a little bit. Let's look back on last year and look at the bullpen and ask the question, who do we trust the most on the returning side of things coming into next season? That's right here on today's lockdown reds podcast. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for making me your first listen of the day here at lockdown reds. Let's get started. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is a beautiful day here in Cincinnati. I think one of the last few, like, warmish fall days that we got and geez oh Pete we ran through some blackout stuff last night at least here in Landon and and when I say blackouts I really mean like my apartment complex didn't have power for like five hours last night super crazy but hey we're here today and the day is good and today we are talking about the idea of the pitfalls of trading currently when you're talking about the period of time between now and December First, the CBA expires for Major League Baseball on December the 1st, and everyone believes that there will be some form, whether that be an aggressive form, whether that be a long form, or whether it be a little bit shorter form of a lockout beginning on December the 2nd. The Reds have already tasted this as they tried to trade Tucker Barnhart and Wade Miley. They were successful to a point in trading Tucker Barnhart by getting a prospect back. According to them, they were unsuccessful with Wade Miley, though reports say from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, he mentioned that uh, if they'd have picked up the option on Miley and tried to trade him during spring training after the market for free agents had kind of cooled down a bit, they probably would have been very successful. So... You know, whatever. What it could have, should have. It's a little bit annoying to think about, but that's what we're talking about right now is that if anybody is buying, they are buying very, you know, timidly. There were a couple of free agents that were signed yesterday, but they were prove-it type one-year contracts, not guys who are going to move the needle for anybody. Andrew Heaney became a Dodger, and if you're wondering who that was, he wasn't very good last year for the Angels. He had an ERA over five, not something that's going to just blow you out of the water. These are the kind of deals that you can expect. Not only because from the Reds' perspective, they have announced themselves as a team that's just trying to shed payroll and just trying to balance the checkbook, if you will. There's also, for the entirety of the league, this ticking clock mentality. There's a certain period of time where, honestly, if you don't make a trade before that time, it's probably not going to be that big of a deal because eventually it's going to restart. You're going to know what's in the new CBA. and You're going to know all the different loopholes and different uh, nuances that come with a brand new collective bargaining, collective bargaining agreement. As of right now, nobody knows. So if the Reds are trying to find a trade partner for Luis Castillo or for Sonny Gray or for whoever else, chances are they're getting lowballed. 
chances are they're not going to get the appropriate return value. And that is what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Reds, if they're making trades, need to have an eye on kind of retooling, not rebuilding, but retooling and kind of turning this roster into something that can bring this city some playoff success. And I know that from the comments that Nick Crawl has made that it doesn't really sound like that's what they're focused on. I just kind of hope that, you know, maybe the trades luck into that sort of standing. We're talking about the final couple of years of Joey Votto's career, at least as a Cincinnati Red, under his contract that he currently has. I don't know if he's still going to play after that contract is up, if he's going to go somewhere else, what the deal is there. I've always kind of envisioned him uh, retiring as a Red, but for Joey Votto, much of his career has been wasted. Much of his career has been just kind of crumpled up and thrown into the garbage. Sure, they were good. They were pretty pieces of paper that were crumbled up because he had amazing performances, but they didn't amount to team success. And that is what he has said he craves. That is what he has said he longs for when it comes to what he wants to look back on after he has retired. He wants that team success and the team winning. So how do they do that? They've got to have that sort of eye on things whenever they make these deals. And, and, and right now it just doesn't look like the appropriate atmosphere to go out and try to make franchise altering trades. So I ask the Reds if they're going to do this, if they're going to trade away the Luis Castillos and Sonny Grays on this roster, wait, wait until after the lockout and then you'll be able to make some deals. It, it, it seems as though they just don't have the propensity to do that. Hopefully they change. Now, I will say this. There were a couple of news and notes yesterday. One really positive. Jonathan India officially named a finalist for the BBWAA Rookie of the Year Award in the National League. I think I was surprised at how quickly I said that acronym. The Baseball Writers Association of America. That's what that stands for. And he's won every other Rookie of the Year Award. Now, this one is the one you get the trophy for. Hopefully... And he should, because he's going up against Dylan Carlson and Trevor Rogers. And we've talked ad nauseum about how he's better than both those guys. At least last year he was. So I'm expecting him to take home the hardware that will be announced November 15th, which is next Monday for those of you without a calendar. Cause well, I mean, all of our calendars are on our phones, so whatever. November 15th, next Monday should be the day that we celebrate Jonathan India getting rookie of the year. The other piece of news, Nick Castellanos declined his qualifying offer. And again, anybody raise your hand if you're surprised. Let the record show nobody rose their hand. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about the Reds bullpen and uh, the trust factor that comes with it. Before we talk about that, though, I want to tell you about betonline.ag. They are the only online sportsbook that I've trusted, and they've got a brand new web interface for the start of basketball season. And look, NBA's already going. Now you've got college basketball starting up tonight. they got more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus by typing in the promo code locked on. That's again, 50% welcome bonus, 50% added onto your initial deposit just for typing in locked on in the promo code from basketball, football, baseball. You've got the NHL, you've got UFC and you got boxing too, right down to your favorite casino games. Don't wait. 
to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Go to betonline.ag again. Set up your profile with the promo code Locked On to get that 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag, which is where the game starts. All right, so let's talk about the bullpen. The bullpen was one of everybody's favorite things to complain about. It usually is, no matter how good a bullpen is. There's always points during the season where you can complain about it. The easiest thing for baseball fans to complain about. I think if we did a list of easiest things for baseball fans to complain about, let's see. Uh, Well, maybe not the bullpen. Pace of play would be number one. Everybody complains about that. Even I found myself... A couple of times this season being like, good Lord, this game's taking forever. Um, National League fans be the designated hitter, probably. Uh, The bullpen's got to be up there, though. It's got to be in the top three, if not the top one, because there's not one team on God's green earth that has a perfect bullpen. In fact, I want to compare the Reds to the World Series champion bullpens, and we'll see that there's some differences, obviously, but there's some that aren't so pronounced. And I'll tell you why. Firstly, let's do this. I'll throw this. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this. And if you are listening on your favorite podcasting app, I'll kind of describe it to you. And if you're watching on YouTube, that looked a little bit smaller than I thought it was going to. But whatever, we'll talk about this. This is the detailed relief pitching stats from baseballreference.com, breaking down every single pitcher who pitched a relief appearance for the Reds this past season. You'll notice right away, I've got it highlighted in terms of save opportunities. Guys who were given the opportunity to close out the game and get the Reds a win. This is something we've talked about ad nauseum for bullpen ace type stuff. I'm, I'm tired of the term closer and the guy who has to pitch in the ninth inning. I don't believe that should be a thing. I understand where David Bell is coming from, from that uh, side of the equation. However, if you're looking at the Reds bullpen stats that I have up for you, you will notice right away with the row that I have highlighted for save opportunities, there were four pitchers who got 10 or more save opportunities. There's an old ad, and it's more of a football thing because you're talking about like quarterbacks or something like that. If you got more than one of something, you really don't have it have anything at all. And when you're talking about closers and bullpen aces, if you say you've got more than one, you don't have any at all. You've got one guy that you should trust to get the majority of your save opportunities, the majority of your highest leverage points in the game. That should be your dude that you know you can call on. The Reds didn't have that last year. You do look at the different statistics, and when you break it down, Lucas Sims actually had uh, a good amount of save situations, which that's broken down even further. Not necessarily he came in the ninth inning with a chance to get a save. It's during the course of a game, after the fifth inning, if the Reds are leading by three runs or less, or if the tying run is on deck or on base or in the batter's box or whatever. Stuff like that after the fifth inning. That's thrown into the save situation. But strictly for save opportunities, talking about the guy who's trying to get the final out of the ninth inning. Uh, It's interesting to see that Amir Garrett actually got the most save opportunities, only by one, because right below him were Givens, Hembry, and Sims, who all got 10 apiece. Also interesting to note that Heath Hembry, despite 
the fact, and he, he really fell off there after the All-Star break. I think it's because he was used so heavily after or before the All-Star break, but right after the All-Star break, he just fell off a cliff. But he had uh, tied for the best save percentage for somebody that got more than you know five save opportunities, and he had one of the best inherited runners, uh, the best percentages of inherited runners allowed to score. Percentage. There's a better way to say that, but I'm tripping over to got a head cold. Sorry about all this. But um, when you look at those numbers, and I've left those numbers up for a minute here for those of you on YouTube, my face is back. Uh, Heath Henry actually was all right. So when we're looking at this Reds bullpen, who did we trust the most? Now, I'm not saying it's Heath Henry. I know that was the last guy's name that I just used, but... When you again, I'll reiterate: if you have more than one closer, you don't have any closers at all. You don't have any bullpen aces at all. There wasn't that one dude who David Bell knew he could trust. And as much as I would have loved to say it was Lucas Sims, Lucas Sims had his struggles. And we'll actually have Lucas Sims on tomorrow to talk about the season. He'll be back on the podcast. We talked to him before. I, I, I cannot wait. I've been waiting, and this is ever since May that I've been waiting to do this, but I've wanted to talk to him about that game where the umpire continued to make sure that the game went on despite there basically being a blizzard around them. I, I, I want to talk to him about that. But anyway, that's tomorrow on the podcast. Right now we're talking about trust factor. Who do you trust the most when it comes to the Reds going into next season? I'll throw that graphic up again because there's two things. Number one, the inherited runners scoring percentage was higher than league average, 39% compared to it should have been 35%. And then you look at the Reds save percentage compared to league average. League average was 59% and the Reds were actually 61%. So go figure. They actually had a better save percentage than league average. Would have lost a bet on that one. But the inherited runners thing was a pretty big one. There was only one Reds pitcher who was under 20% so far as as inherited runners scoring. That was Tony Santion, a guy who definitely deserves to be in the bullpen next year and have a prominent role. That differs from what I'm about to show you. Coming up here in just a minute, I want to tell you how the Reds bullpen and the Braves bullpen, the World Series champion Braves, compares. Sorry, head cold. It's that time of year. All right, so we talked about the Reds' bullpen and the trust factor and how there's not like one dude that stands out amongst the group. They have a group of interesting pitchers, a group of pretty decent arms. Just nobody really stood out from the crowd. Let me compare this for you because... We always talk about how important it is to have a good bullpen when it comes to the postseason. And if you don't have a good bullpen, you're going to struggle and you're probably not going to take home the trophy. Well, there were a couple of guys in the Braves bullpen that all year long turned in amazing performances. And there was one key difference between the Braves and the Reds bullpen. Let's show you the stuff. Okay. Showed you the Reds stuff again on YouTube. Here is the Braves. And because they used... Uh, a couple of relievers less than the Reds actually did. You can read this a little bit better because the print's not so small. But the biggest difference that you'll notice, number one, save opportunities. Will Smith got 43 of the 66 total save opportunities for the Atlanta Braves this season. 
He had 37 saves and 43 opportunities, 86%. No red had a better save percentage, and nobody even had anywhere near 43 save percentage, save opportunities. So he was their guy. And now Brian Snitker did kind of manage the bullpen a little bit more traditional. Like he did have a closer. He did have a dude who only pitched in the ninth inning. Cause you'll see that Will Smith only saw one inherited runner one all year long. And he allowed that guy to score. So that's kind of funny how that works, but you know, baseball, but when you look at Will Smith, he was coming out in the ninth inning pretty much all the time. They didn't have him coming out in stressful situations earlier on in the game. But there's two other guys that I want to highlight. A.J. Minter, whose inherited runners scored percentage was 17%. He only allowed four inherited runners to score, and he saw 24 total during the year. And then the other guy, this dude was just so impressive, was Tyler Matzik. Tyler Matzik, during the year, saw 28 inherited runners and only three of them scored. Those are phenomenal numbers. And those are the numbers that you look for when you're talking about trust, when you're talking about that dude who comes in to a very stressful situation and you say, who can we rely on to shut the door, to stop the bleeding? Because you're never going to go through an entire season and see a guy and not allow base runners, and then you have to pull them out. That's usually when you pull the starting pitchers when he's just allowing way too many base runners, and it's time you got to get them out of there. So you need that dude who can come in and fix stuff for you. A.J. Minter and Tyler Matzik were those dudes for the Braves. Let me throw the Reds thing back up one more time. For the Reds, Heath Embry, 25% of inherited runners scored. Four out of 16. And then you go down, way down the list, Tony Santion, the best when it came to any Reds reliever who saw 10 or more inherited runners on base when they came in, he only allowed two of the 13 inherited runners that he saw to score. But again, not many other guys had that kind of numbers. And you're looking at people that you thought would be higher up on the trust list for the Reds bullpen, like... Uh, let's look at Michael Lorenzen here. Michael Lorenzen, he saw seven inherited runners and three of them scored. Sean Doolittle, which say what you will about Sean Doolittle, he was actually signed off free agency to be a reliever that they trust last offseason. You know, take that for what it's worth. But when you look at the stats there, he saw 19 inherited runners, 12 of them scored. That is, oof, that's terrible. And then Amir Garrett, he was a little bit better at this. He saw 22 inherited runners, only eight of them scored. And and all these numbers, these are a lot of numbers. I get it, and let's put this into context. Trust is the guy that you can bring in to shut the door, to stop the bleeding, to stop the base runners from getting on and getting over and getting in. The Reds really didn't have that one dude they could rely on there. Amir Garrett was all right, but Amir Garrett had this problem with walking guys. His walk percentage was way too high to be very high on the trust factor list. And when you've got, uh, like the Braves bullpen and Will Smith, when you've got that one guy who gets the vast majority of save opportunities, and, and, and that's not the point that I'm trying to make about, you know, pitching in the ninth inning, but it just shows that the Braves trust Will Smith. The Reds did not have that trust guy. And th- that is the biggest thing that they need to look for this offseason is, is that guy in-house. Do they have to go get that guy? 
They have already lost Michael Gibbons and Michael Lorenzen to free agency. Are they going to bring one of them back? Are they going to go get a different guy who's better than those guys? That is what they've got to figure out. And that's what I kind of ask you because when I look at this Reds bullpen, I don't think that I trust any of them so far as to yet. And I'm going to ask Lucas Sims about this. And I know that that might sound a little bit uh, you know, forthcoming, but... When, when I talk to Lucas Sims tomorrow, I'm going to ask him about that whole idea because he said something that was interesting to me a year ago. Whenever we talked about Rysel Iglesias and we talked about the bullpen, I asked him, I said, does the bullpen have assigned seating? And he said, Rysel sits down and then everybody else kind of finds a seat from there. So no, they didn't have assigned seating, but there was this, this thought process that if you're the closer – if you're that dude that's getting the saves, you get the seat and everybody else follows you. So it kind of felt like performance wise on the field that that sort of daunted all of them. It was a daunting thought to all of the relievers in the Reds bullpen. And I'm curious to see how they react to that. All right. That's going to do it for us here today on the lockdown Reds podcast, kind of talking about relief pitcher trust and talking about trade markets and things like that tomorrow on the podcast. Like I've already kind of, touted a little bit. Lucas Sims will join me. We will talk about the season that was. We'll look ahead to what next year might look like and hopefully get some stories from as a, from him as well. That's tomorrow on the Lockdown Reds podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you so much for watching and for listening today. If you don't already, make sure that you're subscribed right here on YouTube or on your favorite podcasting app. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and follow the show right here or follow the show at Locked on Reds on Twitter and drop some comments right here. I like to read those and kind of react to those as necessary. That's it here in the comments section on YouTube. But thanks again, everybody, for making Locked on Reds your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked on MLB. As Sully's got you covered from a league-wide perspective, it's Locked on MLB. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.